Good morning. What a, what a wonderful time of fellowship we enjoyed this morning. There's a section of the grocery store that amazes me at today. When I was a kid, we'd go in and mom would get Morton salt. Iodized or unionized, but that was it. Morton salt. Now you go in and you can find salt from the Himalayas, Himalaya pink. You can find sea salt. You can find salts from all over the world. Things have changed. I was reading that in Texas there is a deposit of salt that is 48 square miles underground. Up in Michigan they've been mining salt for 100 years. We put about 190,000 tons of salt on the roads in the wintertime in the United States. The mining for salt in the world is astronomical. China runs number one, U.S. number two. But at one time, salt was a very rare commodity. It was expensive. And you waited for the camel train to come in from dry lake beds where it was mined. And so as we go to the book of Numbers today, we want to keep in mind that salt was a rarity. It was a preservative. It kept things from spoiling. And it was also used in ancient times if you were going to make a covenant or an agreement with someone. The two parties would take salt and some in their mouth and swallow it. And that was the agreement. This is the covenant was based upon this salt covenant. It's used three times in the scripture, this mention of the salt covenant or the covenant of salt. And one of them just happens to fall in our scripture reading in the book of Numbers chapter 18. So if you would look with me to the book of Numbers chapter 18. In years past, I never took the time <laughs> to stop and read the book of Numbers. And now oftentimes I'll get online and I appreciate those guys who read it online and pronounce the names correctly. <laughs> but here in the book of Numbers, as the person was reading, I keep a notebook beside me and as a verse comes up that goes like that, I write it down. Well, this is one of those verses found here in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 18, And I want to read verse 19. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given to thee, this was to the Levites, to Aaron and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is, notice this, a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. It is a covenant of salt. Now if you'll back up with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 2. The book of Leviticus chapter 2 we have this also mentioned there, Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. This covenant of salt is mentioned. And we're going to spend our time not on 
the many covenants that are mentioned in the scripture. We're going to spend our time this morning basically on one covenant that we depend on every day, the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant. Some people, as we get to the New Testament, called it the new covenant, but it's all the same. Here in the book of Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Now, just remember, this is expensive. This is not common grocery store salt. This is not salt as we know it today. So plentiful. So, in fact, I've been told not to be so plentiful with my salt. (laughs) Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thy offerings thou shalt offer salt. So, Not only was this to be an expensive offering from an animal standpoint, but it was also to be an expensive offering from a salt standpoint. The salt did not just come out of Morton's cans or boxes as we know it today. It did not come from Fred Meyer's or some other grocery store. It was a very expensive commodity. And the Lord says this in this passage of Scripture, It is a covenant of salt. I want you to remember the expense of this covenant, but it is also a binding covenant. It is a covenant that God made with Levi. It's a covenant that God made with Israel here. And one other place that we want to look to is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. In 2 Chronicles chapter 13, we find that a king brings up a covenant that God made with David. Now, this king is long after David, But he wants us to remember that there was a covenant made with David and a covenant of salt. It is a picture of God and someone putting some salt in their mouth and agreeing to something. If we remember correctly, we will find that every covenant that God ever made with men failed due to men, unable to keep it, even though they had a covenant of salt, even though it was an expression of great wealth, great expense, I should say, great expense, and also that it had great preservative power. It was a covenant that should be kept. Natural man cannot keep it. Even after the Lord saves us, we cannot keep a physical covenant. God is the one that always keeps his side. Man is always the ones that can't keep that side. So that's why we want to spend some time on the everlasting covenant this morning. Here in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 13, and there in verse 5, it says, Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons, by a covenant of salt. By a covenant of salt. This covenant of salt, it means it is incorruptible, and it is durable. It's a durable covenant. It is a covenant that should last forever, and yet we find that God's covenants with man was failure because man could not keep those covenants. There was a covenant made with Adam. God made a covenant. The day you eat, you shall surely die. 
Now, I read in a commentary just recently, and, and Nathan was there, and I read it to him, and he says, that's not true. And I said, of course it's not true. In that commentary, the commentator expressed Adam's feeling towards his wife that had eaten the forbidden fruit, that she was already in a fallen state, and that Adam, out of his great love for his wife, went ahead and ate the fruit too. There's only a couple of things wrong with that. Number one, it's not scriptural. Number one, it's not, two, it's not scriptural. And number three, it's not scriptural. If you go over there, the covenant was not made with Eve. She was beguiled. But Adam ate knowingly. And that covenant that God made, he fulfilled it the day he, that Adam ate. He died. He died spiritually, and he began the, the slow death physically. 900 plus years later, he died physically. So it was fulfilled, but Adam could not keep it, even in that state that he was in. And we have other covenants that were made, and the covenant that God made with Israel. We know it as the Ten Commandments, the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. We find through there how often they promised to keep that covenant, and they were unable to just by their own nature. And God said, I did not give you a heart. I did not give you a heart to do this. And he shared with the, us about the two spies that came back with a good report. He says, I gave him a new spirit. I gave him another spirit. He didn't give to the ten. And so God's action with us is always in God's side positive. But our action towards him in our natural state is always negative. We cannot keep it. Well, we're in a quandary then until we begin to find out that this covenant of salt that was made here in the book of Numbers, covenant of salt made in the book of Leviticus, and the covenant of salt made in the book of Second Chronicles that we just read is a type and a shadow and a picture of a much greater covenant, a much more secure covenant, a much more... Um, uh, pleasant covenant, a much more kept covenant, because God is going to keep it. We find that this covenant with God, that when he makes it, it's an incorruptible, everlasting covenant. It is what salt really is. It was expensive to keep this covenant. It's the blood of Christ. And it is uh, insoluble. It will not break apart. It will not die. And we find that it is, it, it is permanent. The covenant that God makes is permanent. All those other covenants, they tragically fell because that natural man was unable to do that. If we want to say a few things this morning about a covenant, we want to say them about the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant, the covenant that God keeps, the covenant that he has. Now, there's some reasons that we want to do that. So if you turn with me to the New Testament for just a moment. Book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 9. The old covenant is summed up in this way. The covenant that was made with Israel is summed up this way in the book of Hebrews. The Old Testament saints had much understanding about the scriptures, but I'm thankful that I live in a New Testament time because I have the book of Hebrews. <laughs> the book of Hebrews is just a glorious book to deal with the book of Numbers or the book of Leviticus with. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter Chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 15, Hebrews chapter 10. There we go. 
whereof, verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he said, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. Now, this is God's expression about the everlasting covenant. We're going to read why it was necessary that we have this kind of covenant, that God have this kind of covenant in just a moment. But let's read this. He says, I will make them, uh, make a covenant with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of sin of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus... Now, everything that we needed is expressed in this covenant that God is going to make with the house of Israel. He made it, and we'll read it, it's an eternal covenant, but there was a reason that this is necessary. That covenant of salt that God made with Israel, with Levi, and even with the house of David, faltered on one side always, human side. God always keeps his word. He never has told a lie. He will never make an agreement and not keep his side. So now turn with, with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9, and let us read here why it was necessary that God have an everlasting covenant, a true covenant of salt. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, we read this, which is a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience. Now, here's a problem with that covenant. It could not and it did not make anybody acceptable in the sight of God. It was not perfect. There was no ability in that covenant to make anybody better than they were. Now, it did create as we find during the Lord's ministry, it was there, it did create a lot of Pharisees. It did create people saying, I am keeping it, but knowing full well they were not keeping it. This covenant is faulty. This covenant does not stand because the other party, the human side, cannot keep that side. All right, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, we have... The Apostle Paul, led of the Holy Spirit, to write these things, to share with us that the true covenant is far greater. The true covenant is far greater than that covenant of salt that was made with Levi, or made with Aaron, or made with uh, David. Here it says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9, But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak, and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Now these two words that the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to use with regard to that covenant said it's weak. That covenant is weak because of us. And it's beggarly compared to the everlasting covenant. This is such a low covenant. It is such a mean covenant. It is such a covenant that is has no well benefit or welfare in it. 
There's no hope in it. It is always a judgmental covenant. It is always seeking justice. It is never giving mercy. So it is weak and beggarly. It is, well, why would you want that over the eternal covenant? And would you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8? As we look here in Romans chapter 8, and there in verse 3, Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, we have these words. It says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. He's reflecting on why it was not a good covenant. It was weak through the flesh. Adam couldn't keep his covenant. You know, Abraham, as best as he could, was still a fallen creature before God, even after he believed. He went and lied about his wife. We find all kinds of imperfections in all the saints throughout all time. And if it wasn't for this everlasting covenant, if it wasn't for the covenant of grace, then there would be nobody that would ever see God and have everlasting life. In the book of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 again, would you join me there in verse 15? Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and there in verse 15, we have these words. As we look at the, the problem with the human covenant, the problem with the covenant of Mount Sinai, the covenant that God makes with any man is faulty because on this one side is a crumbling, crumbling, crumbling man, and on this side is Almighty God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. For this is the cause he, for, and for this cause he is a mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressors that were under the first testament. They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Well, he says a lot in that verse of Scripture, and he just says this, because we have a problem, God intervened with a wonderful covenant. God intervened with this wonderful covenant. He's the mediator of the New Testament, and this mediator of the New Testament is for God's people, and it is an eternal covenant. Over in the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Titus chapter 1. Let's look at a couple of verses there as we find that the Apostle Paul again was used of the Holy Spirit to share with us that this covenant has a reaching far beyond, far behind the creation of heaven and earth in eternity past. In the book of, of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, who has saved us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. And he closes this verse by saying, before the world began. Now that's where we need a covenant made. Before Adam was created, we need a covenant made that will keep the people of God. We need a covenant that is not based upon humanity. We need a covenant that's not even based upon a high priest, a natural high priest. We need a covenant that's not even based upon a good king. We need a covenant that is not based upon some rare element or compound, excuse me, salt. 
We need a covenant that's based upon God. And here in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to a covenant of works, not according to our works of any kind, not according to our works of righteousness of any kind, this covenant, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us, this purpose and grace was given us in Christ Jesus, what? Before the world began. Now we're talking about a covenant. (laughs) Now we're talking about a covenant, an agreement that can be kept, an agreement that natural man is not involved in. He's blessed with, but not involved in. We have a covenant made before man's creation. We have a covenant made before Adam. We have a covenant made before the foundation of the world. We have a covenant that reaches way back in eternity. When God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in covenant mercy, determined to do some things on the behalf of the church. And it wasn't up to them to keep it. It was up to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to keep it. Now, we don't find these words everywhere in the Scriptures. There's one time we find omnipotent. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. But we also find that He's omniscient and omnipresent. This is the God that has kept a covenant, started a covenant, kept a covenant. It's an eternal covenant. I should say there's never been a beginning of it. Well, let's look here again in the next book of the Bible, in the book of Titus. Paul brings that again up to a group of people, especially unto a preacher here. And uh, we're going to find out that this is part of what preaching should be about. This everlasting covenant. It should be about that. God's part. God taking care of the business. God taking care of his people. God having an agreement. And we can truly say that that was a covenant of salt. They agreed. doesn't say that each one of them took some salt, but it is a true, honorable covenant of salt. It is not faulty because of humanity. Here in the book of, of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by the sound doctrine both... T- I'm reading... What I thought was. (laughs) It's promised before the world began. Again. Verse 2. Thank you. In hope of eternal salvation, or eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Once again, this covenant is made before humanity. It was made on their behalf, but it was not made during their time. You know, we find that this uh, everlasting agreement, this everlasting covenant, this covenant made before the foundation of the world, it is called, in in some senses, the eternal council. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as we read through the scriptures about this covenant of salt and how glorious it is when it comes from God's standpoint, when it comes from God. And here in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, we have this a passage given to us about the very crucifixion of the Lord, which was absolutely essential, absolutely necessary, and God promised in the council halls of eternity, in the covenant of grace, in the council of God, 
in Second Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, him, talking about the Lord, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This is where that covenant was made. In the council halls, determinate council and foreknowledge of God. This covenant is termed the council of God. We know about councils. There's a lot of human councils. People sitting down to discuss government, people sitting down to discuss jobs, people sitting down to discuss issues, people's, a council gets together. Mr. Roosevelt got together a whole group of people and says, we need a council of war. And they voted to go to war, World War II. We have a council. Well, this council took place before there was any creation. This council took place between the three of the Godhead. This council took place and said, in this council, in order to set people free, there is the death of the only begotten Son. He must shed His blood. In Ephesians chapter 1, turn with me there as we think about this eternal covenant, this eternal covenant of salt. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we're often drawn to that passage of Scripture because it's so full of the everlasting covenant of grace. This is what the outflow of it is. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, "...in whom also we have attained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will." Here in that word counsel, we have, it was covered in the council halls of eternity in the covenant of grace that everything is going to work out according to his eternal purpose. It is truly going to be an insoluble covenant. It will be an eternal covenant. It will be for the beneficiary of lost souls. It will be for people God has chosen before the foundation of the world. And we also read in the book of Hebrews that's an immutable counsel. God's not going to change his mind. There's not going to be a vote down the road a ways. There's going to be an everlasting, all-time standing, eternal standing covenant that God is going to make between the Godhead on the benefit and for the benefit of lost ones. Now, over there, when God was issuing that covenant of salt, he's dealing with, Levi, or with Aaron and his sons and his daughters. And you know what? They all could trace their line right back to Adam. We may not be able to do it physically, but we certainly can say, I'm a descendant of Adam. I can't go from here to here to here, but I know this. If you're following a herd of cows down to a big river and you see their footprints, and you go across the river and get out to the other side, and you see footprints, you're pretty well assured they made it, at least some of them made it through. Well, that's the way it is with the human race. We all descended from Adam, and we all have the same fracture. And yet there has been an eternal, everlasting covenant made for God's people. It's immutable. It changes not. And in the book of Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul writes here as he's about ready to go to Rome in the book of Acts chapter 20. He says here that when he was preaching, when he was teaching in churches, when he was teaching that 
young man, uh, the Caesar's household, when he was teaching the Philippian jailer, when he was teaching wherever he went and wherever God led him, was discussing the other day that he had an interest in going to the east, to the orient. God said no. He had an interest in going north, there in above uh, what we know as Turkey. And the Lord said no. And then there's a man from Macedonia says, come over here. And that's where he went. The only reason there he was not sent there or there was there's no sheep there. And there's sheep over here. So he sent him over here to Macedonia. And here in the book of Acts, he is reflecting on his ministry among all these people. Now, if we just remember correctly, he's one of those guys that said that he kept the law. He's one of those guys that said he kept it perfectly. He's one of those guys that said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I am better off than anybody else of my age group. And then the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and said, sorry. And from then on, he never referred once to going back to the law. Now notice what he says here in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. For I have not shunned. I've never stopped from saying this. I've never quit preaching this. Everywhere I've went, all I've said is here to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now what is he saying? He's saying, I always preach the everlasting, immutable covenant of grace. And by that and that alone has God determined to save his people from their sins. It was never a covenant of works that he preached. It was always a covenant of grace. It was the everlasting covenant. It was the new covenant. And he preached it wherever he went and never stopped from preaching it. I'm sure in his day and time, just like in our day and time, that people came along and said, you know, we would go along with you if you'd stop preaching that stuff. We would love you more. We would support you. We'd send offerings, Paul, if you just quit preaching that stuff. Well, when it came time to preach that stuff, he wrote to the Galatians and said, you need to hear that stuff because right now you're not hearing it. I came there and preached it. And now you want to go back under the weak and beggarly elements of the law? I have the covenant of grace that I've been preaching. And I've been declaring that God in his purpose before the foundation of the world wrote some people's names down in the Lamb's book of life. And the Son has promised to die on the cross for every one of those. And the Holy Spirit has promised to go and find every one of those and bring the word of God, the gospel of his eternal purpose to them and to save them by his grace. The promise were made before the world began in old eternity. The covenant of salt has much to picture about the everlasting covenant. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, one more time, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. This is where we have to trace our lineage. We don't trace it back to John the Baptist, and we don't trace it back to Abraham. We, we, we need to go further. We need to go to the covenant of grace. We need to go back before eternity. 
Now the God of peace, Numbers chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. What a joy it is for us to delight in the blood of the everlasting covenant that it was promised before the world began, that it is more, it is much more than just a physical covenant of salt. Now, if that worked for two people that were agreeing over a piece of property, hallelujah. But it will never work between natural man and God. It might have worked between two people that were at war with each other and they decided to settle down and be at peace. Let's have some salt and we'll make a covenant. And if that worked, hallelujah. But it will never make any inroads with Almighty God. This covenant is made with the Godhead. The church is the beneficiaries. The church are the recipients. We have never been asked to participate with it. We've always been, you are a recipient. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What a glorious statement that God would put his glorious salvation in earthen vessels like you and I, like Abraham, David, Solomon, and the others in the Old Testament. You remember what David said as his last words over in 2 Samuel 23? Join me over there. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I do want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and read what David said about his hope. This is all my hope. This is all my salvation. What is it? 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, if we read earlier in this passage, we find out this is the last words of David. Coming close to the end of his life, he's got a few things he wants to say. He's permitted to write it down. And he says here in verse 5, Although my house be not so with God. What's he saying? Not everybody in my house understands this. I'm sure he wished they did. But he realized he was not in charge of that. My house is not so with God. Yet, hallelujah, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. What did David realize as God brought him the gospel and God gave him the heart of belief? What did David realize? This covenant is just for me. I tried to keep another covenant, a covenant of works. I can just see David like everybody else trying to work his way into the, into the good graces of Almighty God and it never works. But this is where David went to. He said... He hath made with me that everlasting covenant before the foundation of the world that was made on the behalf of David. And how did David know it? How did David realize that that covenant was made for him? How does anybody realize it was made for him? They believe God. They believe God's word. They believe that God did something for them in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world, and not one bit of their effort ever got them any closer to God. It was always God dealing for their behalf. And he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. This covenant is immutable. This covenant will not change. This covenant is God's covenant on the behalf of people. He determined he would save some people. It is a true covenant of salt. 
It is a true covenant for the church, a covenant of salt. You know, after we're saved, we say, yeah, I'll take that salt. <laughs> I'll agree to that. But before, it is just absolutely. Someone told me, I was reading, uh, I guess it was online, says you cannot take a tablespoon of salt and put it in your mouth and swallow it. I'm not going to try. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. You know, the covenant of grace is, we, we, it's repugnant to us until we're made willing. It's not for us until we're made willing. We could have no interest in it. Take salt? Are you kidding me? Goes on to tell us there in that verse of Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 5, He hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure. For this is, what does he say? All my salvation in all my desire. Let me talk about the everlasting covenant. We're not going to get off onto the old covenant. We're not going to get off onto some man's covenant. We're not going to get off onto some Pharisee's covenant. We're going to get on the covenant that 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 other man said, God be merciful to me, a sinner covenant. That's the covenant that we want to be under. David's last words, how glorious that God would come to anybody and reveal to them his eternal covenant of grace, that it is immutable, unchangeable, stationary. Put your life on it. It will carry you. It will be a blessing. It is ours to have. There is a verse I want to check here. In I think we read it, but I want to read it again. In Hebrews chapter 13. And with this we'll close. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead. Jesus Christ died for our sins. How do we know that it was an acceptable sacrifice? How do we know? He said there, He has brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's how we know it was accepted. He was raised from the dead. God accepted the sacrifice completely. God raised him from the dead. He is the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. His blood. It's not how much, but whose blood. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, never did. People who trusted it found out it was faulty. But the blood of the everlasting covenant, the blood of Christ, hath redeemed us from all our sin, the penalty of it, and caused us to rejoice as Paul shared everywhere he preached. I'm going to tell you about the, all the counsel of God. We're going to step away from us and we're going to go back to God. And that's where the gospel is. 
It's in God, it's in Christ Jesus, and it's in the benefits that we have in the Holy Spirit when he comes and regenerates us. So, God be pleased to give us the covenant of salt. Brother Mark.